Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is going to be for 3rd Nephi chapter 9. So let's jump into this. We've had the days of darkness among the Nephites, three days of darkness, and... Uh, and uh, they are in the middle of those three days. Um, it mentioned back in verse 23 of the previous chapter that uh, came to pass that, in the, that it did last for the space of three days, but they're still kind of in the middle of that it's in chapter 9. So let's, uh, let's get into 9. Uh, verse 1, And it came to pass that there was a voice heard among all the inhabitants of the earth upon all the face of this land, crying, Woe, woe, woe unto this people. Woe unto the inhabitants of the whole earth, except they shall repent. For the devil laugheth, and his angels rejoice because of the slain of the fair sons and daughters of my people. And it is because of their iniquity and abominations that they are fallen. Behold, that great city Zarahemla have I burned with fire. And the inhabitants thereof. Notice that it is the that it is Jesus who's destroyed these wicked cities. And behold, that great city Moroni have I caused to be sunk in the depths of the sea, and the inhabitants thereof to be drowned. And behold, that great city Moroni ha have I covered with earth, and the inhabitants thereof, to hide their iniquities and their abominations from before my face, that the blood of the prophets and the saints shall not come up any more unto me against them. And behold, the city of Gilgal have I caused to be sunk, and the inhabitants thereof to be buried up in the depths of the sea. Yea, and the city of Onihah, and the inhabitants thereof, and the city of Mokum, and the, the inhabitants thereof, and the city of Jerusalem, and the inhabitants thereof, and the waters have I caused to come in the stead thereof, to hide their wickedness and abominations from before my face, that the blood of the prophets and the saints shall not come up any more unto me against them. And behold, the city of Gadiandai, and the city of Gadiamna, and the city of Jacob, and the city of Gimgimno, Gim, that's easy for me to say, Gimgimo, Gimgimno, and all these have I caused to be sunk and made hills and valleys in the places thereof, and the inhabitants thereof have I buried in the, up in the depths of the earth to hide their wickedness and abominations from before my face, that the blood of the prophets and the saints should not come up any more against unto me against them. And behold, that great city Jacob Bugath, which was inhabited by the people of King Jacob, have I caused to be burned with fire because of their sins and their wickedness, which was above all the wickedness of the whole earth because of their secret murders and combinations. For it was they that did destroy the peace of my people and the government of the land. Therefore I did cause them to be burned, by, to, be burned to destroy them from before my face, that the blood of the prophets and the saints should not come up unto me any more against them. <clears throat> For behold, the city of Laman, and the city of Josh, and the city of Gad, and the city of Kishkumen, have I caused to be burned with fire, and the inhabitants thereof, because of their wickedness, in casting out the prophets, and stoning those whom I did send to declare unto them, concerning their wickedness and their abominations. It is significant to note the Lord's definition of the wicked, whom he had caused to be destroyed. While he could have recited an extensive listing of their abominations, the Lord simply cited their rejection of the living prophets whom he had sent unto them to cry repentance. This phrase seems to be saying that most, if not all, of the wickedness of the world and individual iniquity could be averted through heeding the words of the Lord's living prophets. That was by Millet and McConkie. 
Verse 11, And because they did cast them all out, that there were none righteous among them, I did send down fire and destroy them, that their wickedness and abominations might be hid from before my face, that the blood of the prophets and the saints whom I sent among them might not cry unto me from the ground against them. And many great destructions have I caused to come upon this land and upon this people because of their wickedness and their abominations. O all ye that are spared, because ye are more righteous than they. Ye were more righteous than they. Will ye, not, will ye not now return unto me and repent of your sins and be converted that I may heal you? Elder Packer spoke of this link between the sin-induced spiritual sicknesses and the physical body. There is another part of us, not so tangible, but quite as real as our physical body. This tangible part of us is described as mind, emotion, intellect, temperament, and many other things. Very seldom is it described as spiritual, but there is a spirit in man. <clears throat> to ignore it is to ignore reality. There are spiritual disorders, too, and spiritual diseases that can cause intense suffering. The body and the spirit of man are bound together. Often, very often, when there are disorders, it is very difficult to tell which is which. The Savior's statement to the remnant Nephites and Lamanites is not merely symbolic, but also literal. Through faith in him and repentance, sick, sin-ridden souls are healed by the great physician as much as as much so as bodies were in the cleansing of lepers. The Savior's healing declaration, Be thou clean, is a literal promise to the faithful and repentant. It may be that all of the miraculous healings performed by Jesus were but tangible symbols of the greatest healing that he alone could perform, the healing of sick spirits and the cleansing of sin-stained souls. The greatest miracles I see today, declared President Harold B. Lee, are not necessarily the healing of sick bodies, but the greatest miracles I see are the healing of sick souls, those who are sick in soul and spirit and are downhearted and distraught on the verge of nervous breakdowns. <clears throat> Bruce R. McConkie said, <clears throat> When we say that only the righteous shall abide the day, when we say that there shall be an entire separation between the righteous and the wicked in that day, we must take into account the fact that there are no perfect men. All men fall short of divine standards. None attain the high state of excellence manifest in the life of the Lord Jesus. Even the most faithful saints commit sin and live in some degree after the manner of the world. But such worldly works as remain with the righteous shall be burned so that the saints themselves may be saved. The burning that destroys every corruptible thing is the same burning that cleanses the righteous. Evil and sin and dross will be burned out of their souls because they qualify to abide the day, even though all their works have not been as those of Enoch and Elijah. If only perfect people were saved, there would be only one saved soul, the Lord Jesus. Verse 14, Yea, verily I say unto you, If ye will come unto me, ye shall have eternal life. Behold, mine arm of mercy is extended towards you, and whosoever will come, him will I receive, and blessed are those who come unto me. Elder Holland said, Come, Christ lovingly says, Come follow me. Wherever you are going, first come and see what I do. See where and how I spend my time. Learn of me, walk with me, talk with me, believe. Listen to me pray, in turn you will find answers to your own prayers. God will bring rest to your souls. Come follow me. Verse 15, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I created the heavens and the earth and all things that in them are. I was with the Father from the beginning. I am in the Father, and the Father in me, and in me hath the Father glorified his name. Under the direction of his Father, Jesus Christ created this earth. No doubt others helped him, but it was Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who, under the direction of his Father, came down and organized matter and made this planet so that it might be inhabited by the children of God. That was by Joseph Fielding Smith. 
Verse 16, I came into my own, and my own received me not, and the scriptures concerning my coming are fulfilled. And as many as have received me, to them have I given to become the sons of God, and even so will I to as many as shall believe on my name. For behold, by me redemption cometh, and in me is the law of Moses fulfilled. J. Reuben Clark said, It is difficult for us today to realize the tremendous revolution involved in altering the ritualism of the law of Moses into the humble and lowly concept of worship, not only with the sacrificial blood of animals, but with this broken heart and contrite spirit of the worshiper. Animal sacrifice was always a vicarious sacrifice, apparently with little actual sacrifice except for the value of the animal sacrificed by the individuals themselves to cancel the debit, so to speak, against their lives and living in the eyes of the, of the Almighty One. The sinner, seemingly in general, took on no obligation and considered himself under no obligation to abandon his sins, but took on, but took on only the obligation to offer sacrifice, therefore. But under the new covenant that came in with Christ, the sinner must offer the sacrifice out of his own life, not by offering the blood of some other creature. He must give up his sins. He must repent. He himself must make the sacrifice. Verse 18, I am the light and the life of the world. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Christ is not the author of salvation, if that means the innovator of the plan of redemption, but rather he is the cause thereof. That is, salvation is possible because of his atoning sacrifice, and that he is the leader in the cause of salvation. That was by Bruce R. McConkie. Remember, too, that the, the plan of salvation uh, was God's plan of salvation. But remember, too, that, that the plan of salvation that Heavenly Father had is the same plan of salvation that every other planet has ever had. So this is not new to us. It's, that plan has always existed from an eternity standpoint. Verse 19, And ye shall offer up unto me no more the shedding of blood. Yea, your sacrifices and your burnt offerings shall be done away, for I will accept none of your sacrifices and your burnt offerings. Although the objective or instructional purpose of animal sacrifices and burnt offerings was now fulfilled in Christ, the saints understand that as part of the restitution of all things, such sacrifices will be reinstituted at least for a season. And that was according to uh, Millet McConkie. We know that, that as part of the restitution of all things, that all of the previous dispensations uh, need to be represented in ours. And so the sacrifices of animals done by Adam will be, will be done again for at least a brief time, probably in the temples uh, in Jackson County and in Jerusalem. Verse 20, And ye shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and a contrite spirit, in the scriptural usage, a broken heart is a malleable, meltable, movable heart, and a contrite spirit is an honest, acknowledging spirit that says, I am, in fact, dependent. There is not self-deprecation here, only honesty. I need help, and when that is acknowledged, help comes. And that was by Truman Matson. President Benson said, Godly sorrow is a gift of the Spirit. It is a deep realization that our actions have offended our Father and our God. It is the sharp and keen awareness that our behavior caused the Savior, he who knew no sin, even the greatest of all, to endure agony and suffering. Our sins caused him to bleed at every pore. This very real mental and spiritual anguish is what the scriptures refer to as a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Such a spirit is the absolute prerequisite to tr for true repentance. Elder Maxwell said, The real act of personal sacrifice is not now nor ever has been placing an animal on the altar. Instead, it is a willingness to put the animal that is in us upon the altar. 
then willingly watching it be consumed. Such is the sacrifice unto the Lord of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Bruce Hafen has said, when we accept the modern law of sacrifice through the two-way covenants of the atonement, our willingness to give the Lord everything we have mirrors his willingness to give us everything he has. Our broken heart for his broken heart. The combination of his sacrifice with ours in the miraculous chemistry of this mutual belonging then gives us the power to contend against all the opposition, tribulations, and afflictions which we will have to encounter in order to be heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. The practice of sacrifice that was fulfilled in Christ was one of rites and rituals, whereas the new practice commanded of the Lord involved inner attitudes that would bring about outward obedience to commandments and ordinances. Just as the sacrifice of animals were to symbolize the shedding of the blood of Christ and to focus the faith of the people on the Messiah, so must our obedience, stemming from the sacrifice of a broken heart and a contrite spirit, be centered solely on Christ. What then is a broken heart and a contrite spirit that is to be our living sacrifice to the Lord? It is, as Paul taught, a godly sorrow which worketh repentance to salvation. It is much more than just a repentant attitude. It includes a recognition of total dependence upon the Lord for salvation and a willing submission to him and his laws. Lamoni's father characterized this sacrifice with his desire to come to know God when he declared, I will give away all my sins to know thee. Offering a sacrifice out of a broken heart and a contrite spirit requires giving away our sins through faith in Christ, sincere and complete repentance, obedience to the Lord's commands, and pressing forward with a steadfastness in Christ. Uh, continuing, verse, continuing the verse, And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is a sanctifier whose divine commission is to burn dross and evil out of a human soul as though by fire, thus giving rise to the expression baptism of fire, which is the baptism of the Spirit. Forgiveness is assured when the contrite soul receives the Holy Spirit because the Spirit will not dwell in an unclean tabernacle. It is the Holy Spirit of God that erases carnality and brings us to a state of righteousness. We become clean when we actually receive the fellowship and companionship of the Holy Ghost. It is then that sin and dross and evil are burned out of our souls as though by fire. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is the baptism of fire. There have been miraculous occasions when visible flames enveloped penitent persons, but ordinarily the cleansing power of the Spirit simply dwells unseen and unheralded in the hearts of those who have made the Lord their friend. And that was by Bruce R. McConkie. Continuing the verse again, even as the Lamanites, because of their faith in me at the time of their conversion, were baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost, and they knew it not. Elder Packer said, too many of us are like those whom the Lord said, came with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and at the time of their conversion were baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost, and they knew it not. Imagine that, and they knew it not. It is not unusual for one to have received the gift and not really know it. I fear this, this supernal gift is being obscured by programs and activities and schedules in so many meetings. There are so many places to go, so many things to do in this noisy world. We can be too busy to pay attention to the promptings of the Spirit. The voice of the Spirit is a still small voice, a voice that is felt rather than heard. It is a spiritual voice that comes into the mind as a thought put into your heart. 
Now do not feel hesitant or ashamed if you do not know everything. Nephi said, I know that he loveth his children. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. There may be more power in your testimony than even you realize. The Lord said to the Nephites, Whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and contrite spirit, and he mentions again this same verse, were baptized with fire and knew it not. Several years ago, I met one of our sons in the mission field in a distant part of the world. He had been there for a year. His first question was this, Dad, what can I do to grow spiritually? I have tried so hard to grow spiritually, and I, have just, I just haven't made any progress. That was his perception. To me, it was otherwise. I could hardly believe the maturity, the spiritual growth that he had gained in just one year. He knew it not, for it had come as growth, not as a startling spiritual experience. And again, that was, um, that was still Elder, Elder uh, Packer. President Benson said, We must be cautious as we discuss remarkable examples of conversion. Though they are real and powerful, they are the exception more than the rule. For every Paul, for every Enos, and for every King Lamoni, there are hundreds and thousands of people who find the process of repentance much more subtle, much more imperceptible. Day by day they move closer to the Lord, little realizing they are building a godlike life. They live quiet lives of goodness, service, and commitment. They are like the Lamanites, who the Lord said were baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost, and they knew it not. True repentance is based on, flows from faith, and flows from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Most repentance does not involve sensational or dramatic changes, but rather is a step-by-step, -step, steady, consistent movement toward godliness. We must be careful as we seek to become more and more godlike, that we do not become discouraged and lose hope. Becoming Christ-like is a lifetime pursuit and very often involves growth and change that is slow, almost imperceptible. And again, that was President Benson. When the 23-year-old Heber J. Grant was installed as president of the Tuella Stake, he told the saints he believed the gospel was true. Now, pay attention to this story. This is about Heber J. Grant, who later became president of the church, and some disagreements here between members of the First Presidency. I think it's interesting. <clears throat> so President Grant <clears throat> was installed as the president of the Tuella Stake in Utah. President Joseph F. Smith, a counselor in the First Presidency, inquired, <clears throat> Heber, you said you believe the gospel with all your heart, but you did not bear your testimony that you know it is true. Don't you know absolutely that this gospel is true? Heber answered, I do not. Joseph F. Smith then turned to John Taylor, the president of the church, and said, I am in favor of undoing this of undoing this afternoon what we did this morning. I do not think any man should preside over a stake who has not a perfect and abiding knowledge of the divinity of this work. President Taylor replied, Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. Heber knows it just as well as you do. The only thing that he does not know is that he does know. Within a few weeks, that testimony was realized, and young Heber J. Grant shed tears of gratitude for the perfect, abiding, and absolute testimony that came into his life. It is a grand thing to know, and to know that you know, and that the light has not been borrowed from another. <clears throat> Interesting that he then became president of the church, isn't it? Verse 21, Behold, I have come in unto the world to bring redemption unto the world, to save the world from sin. Therefore, whoso repenteth and cometh unto me <clears throat> as a little child, him will I receive, for of such is the kingdom of God. Behold, for such I have laid down my life, and I have taken it up again. Therefore, repent and come unto me, ye ends of the earth, and be saved. Even if we don't have dramatic spiritual experiences, we can still repent and come unto Christ. In fact, all are commanded to come unto Christ. I bear testimony that these things are true, and I uh, hope that you'll come back next time, and, and uh, we'll continue this story.
I, I bear testimony that these things are true in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time.